There is a flat on Grimmauld Place. They call the House of Black, and it's been the ruin of many poor elf. Heads mounted on a plaque. You're listening to the Quiddler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for folk singers. Oh, my poor mistress, if she knew, if she knew the scum they've let in her house, what would she say to old creature? Oh, the shame of it. Mudbloods and werewolves and traitors and thieves. Poor old creature, what can he do? I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. I was going to sing that House of the Rising Sun parody, but uh, I'm still a little congested. We tried it a couple times singing and it sounded... Um, Terrible. A little crazy. But so it's the Harry Potter book club for folk singers who can't sing. But I have written the rest of the lyrics, so those might appear at some point in time. We'll post them somewhere. Alex is insanely good at parody lyrics. Like, this is actually one of the first things I learned about you. I could have been... Weird Al. Weird Alex in, <laughs> in another lifetime. You're listening to The Quibbler. We are reading Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. And this week's chapters are... The Order of the Phoenix and the Noble and Most Ancient House of Black. You will hear spoilers and cursing, of course. That's what you're here for. And you will hear some adult themes. This week's adult themes are group dinners, the life-changing magic of tidying up, maternal anxiety, the deep state, and human test subjects. Before I ask Alex what happened this week, I want to do... Not a correction exactly, but just like let you guys know, I fucking hear you. I'm wrong about Grimmauld Place. It's a totally acceptable and understandable house for a prominent English wizarding family to have. Some of you went so far as to send us London real estate listings, which was baller. And we appreciate (laughs) you so much. Just always send us real estate intel. I'm so happy to be vindicated on this. Yeah, you're totally right. And I was totally wrong. It reminds me of the Merchant House in Lower Manhattan or the East Village, I guess. It's the East Village. Uh, If you're in New York City and you really like home tours, you should go there. It's this old, it's one of the oldest residences in I don't know if it's the oldest res... Well, whatever. Yeah. The thing about it is it's got all the old furniture in it, and it's sort of what I imagine the House of Black was like in uh, its glory days, but with less, like, snake decor. You've got, like, the drawing rooms for receiving people, and there's the kitchen, which is out of sight, where the servants would cook, and uh, or house elves in the Wizarding World. It makes me think about Scrooge's house in A Muppet Christmas Carol, which is the only version of the Christmas Carol anyone should consume. (laughs) Um, Okay, so all y'all are right, and thank you for that. On that note, Alex, what happened this week? In this week's chapters, Harry gets reacquainted with his godfather, Sirius Black, who he hasn't seen in pretty much a whole book, except via fireplace. As we've learned, this is Sirius Black's house. The Order of the Phoenix is crashing there. It's about the only thing Sirius can do for the Order, because he is a wanted man. And Voldemort probably knows that he's an animagus by now, so he can't even go outside as a dog. So Sirius is going stir-crazy. He's got a serious case of cabin fever, which Harry can really relate to, because Harry spent the last summer cooped up at the Dursleys rummaging through garbage and letting owl shit accumulate in his bedroom. So they have that in common. Not the owl shit, presumably. Maybe hippogriff shit. Buckbeak is like in one of the bedrooms, right? Poor Buckbeak. He probably can't go out either. Yeah, he can't go out. That's like a whole thing. Oh, that sucks. I know. So anyway, there is a big dinner for everyone staying in Grimmauld Place. I guess the Weasleys are just sort of living there too. Nobody commutes in the Order of the Phoenix. Everybody's just just like a boarder. Yeah. I guess. Not everybody. Snape doesn't stay there. Molly makes stew. Sounds pretty tasty. Mundungus Fletcher's there 
smoking at the dinner table. The smoke smells like dirty socks. So I literally have no idea what Mundungus is smoking, <laughs> but there's sort of an awkward conversation because Harry wants to know what the hell the Order of the Phoenix is. Molly Weasley does not want him to know because Dumbledore, Dumbledore has let it be known that Harry should only be told as much as he needs to know. So how much Harry needs to know is uh, a matter of fierce debate. Molly says Harry's too young. Sirius says Harry's been through a lot more shit than most people in the order. Finally, Lupin, sensible werewolf that he is, intervenes and says, we'll let Harry, and by extension the reader, know enough to get him up to speed, but still leave plenty of tantalizing questions for the rest of this pivotal installment in the Harry Potter series. So, we learn that Dumbledore called together the Order of the Phoenix almost as soon as he found out that Voldemort had returned, and in the meantime, they've been trying to convince people that Voldemort is, in fact, back, and keep tabs on what the Dark Lord is up to, which is... Much the same thing the Order of the Phoenix is doing. Voldemort is also trying to recruit followers for the upcoming Manichaean struggle between good and evil. And he's also looking for something he didn't have in the last Wizarding War, a weapon. What could that be? Maybe it's a snow globe? Also, the Ministry of Magic still doesn't believe that Voldemort is back, so they're trying to drum out various Dumbledore supporters because Cornelius Fudge thinks that Dumbledore has cooked up the story of Voldemort returning as a kind of false flag to install himself as Minister of Magic. So that's troubling, and that's pretty much all Harry's allowed to know. And everybody gets sent to bed. Fred and George apparate on Ron's knees, and there's some light physical comedy. Ron and Harry speculate about what the weapon could be. The next chapter is basically an episode of Hoarders. <laughs> Molly Weasley has taken it upon herself to decontaminate the most noble and ancient house of Black, and she's enlisted the kids to help. So they have to, like, flush out these creatures called doxies from the curtains. They're sort of like pixies, but more beetle-like. We meet the creepy old building super, Creature. He is the Black Family house elf. He's been sort of wandering the halls, taking instructions from Mrs. Black's painting. He's gotten a little eccentric in his old age and is constantly saying racist shit about everyone out loud, although he seems to think that it's his internal monologue. So creatures out there saying the soft part loud constantly, <laughs> uh, including just saying mud blood a lot and blood traders are kind of his two standbys. Yeah, a lot of blood. Yeah, a lot overall. of. Mm-hmm. And creature also is not that into Mrs. Weasley's decluttering project. He keeps nicking stuff from the throwaway pile and taking it back to his room. He's trying to save all these black family heirlooms. Sirius wants nothing to do with Creature. He really hates him. Sirius explains to Harry that Creature is super racist because his mom was super racist and also really into genealogy. He shows Harry this big tapestry that's been in the family for centuries with the Black family tree, and Mrs. Black has basically burned off anyone in the family who wasn't a big pure-blood supremacist. So that includes Sirius, and also Nymphadora Tonks' mother, Andromeda Tonks, nay Black. So there's some history there, and Sirius is related to the but 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 motherfucking Malfoys. We learned that everyone is related to each other. Everyone's basically second cousins. So the Wizarding World is Iceland. Yeah, slash the Habsburgs. Yeah. Finally, the night before Harry's hearing arrives. Remember that Harry has a hearing with the Ministry of Magic. Sirius wants to accompany Harry in dog form, but Dumbledore says no. Also, Dumbledore came to the house and didn't tell Harry, so he's sort of like ducking Harry. So I foresee some tension between Harry Potter and Albus Dumbledore in the chapters to come. And that's what happens in this week's chapters. 
So Sirius is being kind of a whiny bitch in these chapters. Can you blame him? Well, Sirius is really interesting because it's like a lot of the time, and this is especially true in this book, obviously this is like not Sirius's finest hour, he's really more of like a peer to Harry. Like he and Harry like are actually having a really similar like emotional life right now, despite the fact that Sirius is like literally old enough to be Harry's father because he is the exact same age as Harry's father. (laughs) So... It's just like really interesting watching them interact because you like really want Sirius like figure out how to be the grown up in this situation and he just like super can't and he's just like really whiny and just not behaving like a guardian. Well, Molly Molly points that out. She says he's not James, Sirius. And Sirius gets really, really pissed and defensive at that right. moment. And, and Harry's like, why can't I be his best friend, basically? But like the thing is like that's not Harry's responsibility to understand. Mm -hmm. Like, Harry is like, yeah, I want to be best friends with this, the only person who, like, is really family to me anymore. But Sirius is the one who should be in the position to be like, no, this is, like, an adult-child relationship. But the thing about Sirius is, like, he basically is a teenager. Right, yeah. He went to Azkaban when he was, what, like, 22? Yeah, and I mean... Even before that, like, what's really interesting about this chapter is that we learn more about Sirius's backstory. And before he went to prison at age 22, he moved out and essentially lived on his own starting when he was, like, 16. Yeah, he ran away from home at 16 and he had his own place by 17, which, where was he living? Yeah, like, who rented to him? No, he, he, uh, I don't know who rented to him, but he, uh, he inherited some money from a fellow black sheep. Of the family, although there's a lot of black sheep in the black family, <laughs> uh, <laughs> as it were. That that was that that was no pun intended. But then I sort I don't of ret- even know I, that I, that I, I retroactively pun. intend the pun because I like it. Yeah, so you, we kind of figure out that Sirius had to grow up really suddenly because, but also like at the same time, like running away from home is really juvenile. Mm-hmm. Like running away, you know, like it's it's such a kid narrative. And granted, like Sirius clearly had really good reasons for running. Yeah, away I was going to say, is it juvenile if your parents are Nazis? No, like, but it's it's the kind of thing that you come up with. It's like a very right. kid way of thinking about like what comes next. But yeah, Sirius is like totally justified in his choices and like makes really ethical choices to like refuse to be a part of that family but just the concept of like he just goes to like live with his best friend which again is this very like kind of kid fantasy way of like getting away from your like bad family he just like has a fucking permanent sleepover with james for like a full year Uh, here's a question speaking of which where the fuck are harry's grandparents so i was wondering this myself because it seems weird that harry has no other relatives, like, at all, besides Aunt Petunia. So I, you know, I try to not look stuff up on Pottermore because we try to treat the books as... Because think, everything you need from a text should be in the text. Yeah, ba- ba- basically. This is a, that is, to the reader who pointed out that we don't, like, fault J.K. Rowling for, like, writing problems. Like, this is a fucking writing problem. <laughs> what you need to understand a text should be in the text. I don't, is Pottermore, I guess Pottermore is considered canon because it comes from J.K. Rowling or it's like Rowling blessed. But yeah, I, I try to engage just with the books as much as possible. And I also think I get wanting to dig into Pottermore a whole bunch, you know, because it's like I want more Harry Potter. It kind of ruins them, though. But I, I, I also, in some ways, the gaps in your knowledge make the book interesting because it leads to like cool speculation about what is apparition how does it work and what is crookshanks mm-hmm, and then going and reading about it i don't know if it spoils it but anyway the potter family mystery was irksome enough that i was like all right i have to like figure out what rolling has to say about this well according to pottermore the grandpapa potter and grandmama potter were really old and they didn't they didn't think they could have a kid and james was something of a late in life miracle as it were also they're really rich because fleamont potter harry's grandpa invented sleek easy 
hair potion. That's awesome. He's like self-made. They were old parents and uh, they got dragon pox and died quite suddenly before Harry was born. But apparently not before Sirius came to sort of live with them. So they must have died quite soon before Harry was born. Yeah. Harry was born not that long after they all graduated from Hogwarts. Okay, well, that seems like a cop-out, but whatever. It had to be explained some way. Yeah. And uh, I guess a dragon pox Yeah, not that we know what the fuck that is. <laughs> dragon pox effects. Randomly fucking introducing a disease. Affects older people and uh, presumably babies. Yeah. And people with compromised wizarding immune systems. So get your dragon pox vaccinations that's a public service announcement from the Quibblers. Do they have vaccinations in the Wizarding World? Fuck I don't know. No. Uh, Xenophilius Lovegood would definitely not believe in getting your, his dragon pox vaccination. That is accurate. <laughs> so the Quibbler would definitely be anti-vaxxer. Uh, the Quibbler in not our Quibbler in the books. Our Quibbler is definitely pro public health. Get your flu shots. It's still not too late to get your flu shots. By the way, <laughs> Alex, this has just become Alex, like, giving you guys helpful tips. I read Eulabis's On Immunity and became, like, kind of a vaccination nerd. Everyone go read this book. It's, like, a great work of science history and essay and, and memoir, and it will make you want to get your vaccination every year. It will literally make you want to get all the vaccines. Yeah. It will make you, like, a stand for vaccines. <laughs> That is way off topic. Super off topic. So basically, I guess now we know why Harry doesn't have grandparents. Sirius basically went to live with Harry's grandparents. And that's why a lot of this explains why Sirius can't act like a fucking grown up. Because he basically like is stuck at age like 17. It's for such a sad reason. I know. I mean, Sirius's life has been really, really sad. Yeah, he missed like critical maturing years just trying to stay sane in Azkaban. Yeah, he did. But the end result is that Sirius is being an idiot in these chapters and not a helpful guardian to Harry. But Harry has so few just outright advocates. Yeah, but I don't know that Sirius is like advocating for Harry's best interests. Yeah, I know, but I think I'm of your opinion on this, but... It is refreshing to see someone just unambiguously take Harry's side. I guess that brings us to the conversation between between Sirius and Molly. I don't intend to tell him more than he needs to know, Molly, said Sirius. But as he was the one who saw Voldemort come back, again there was a collective shudder around the table at the name. He has more right than most to... He's not a member of the Order of the Phoenix said Mrs. Weasley. He's only 15, and... And he's dealt with as much as most in the order, said Sirius. And more than some. No one's denying what he's done, said Mrs. Weasley, her voice rising, her fist trembling on the arms of her chair. But he's still... He's not a child, said Sirius impatiently. He's not an adult, either, said Mrs. Weasley, the color rising in her cheeks. He's not James, Sirius. I'm perfectly clear who he is, thanks, Molly, said Sirius coldly. I'm not sure you are, said Mrs. Weasley. Sometimes the way you talk about him is as though you think you've got your best friend back. What's wrong with that, said Harry. What's wrong, Harry, is that you are not your father, however much you might look like him, said Mrs. Weasley, her eyes still boring into Sirius. You are still at school and adults responsible for you should not forget it. Meaning I'm an irresponsible godfather, demanded Sirius, his voice rising. Meaning you've been known to act rashly Sirius, which is why Dumbledore keeps reminding you to stay at home and... We'll leave my instructions from Dumbledore out of this, if you please, said Sirius loudly. Arthur, said Mrs. Weasley, rounding on her husband. Arthur, back me up. I'm honestly not sure who's right. In that conversation. And they're both behaving really dismally. Yeah. Like, that is, this is like a really low moment for Molly Weasley's behavior. Well, like, yes and no, right? Because she does have Harry's best interest in heart. Not very many people advocate for Harry's safety. Or, like, emotional security. Either. Yeah. And so Sirius points out that Harry has faced stuff that's 
just as bad as any adult member of the order has had to deal with. And he says, and worse than some, which is clearly a dig at Molly. Mm, I didn't even pick that up. Which is like, really, Mm -hmm. that's really mean. Because like, Molly's like fucking stuck at home with like, just doing cleaning spells. Yeah. Fuck the patriarchy. (laughs) But... You know, the subtext of everything Molly says is, yeah, serious, but he shouldn't have had to do all that. Like, that's really unfair. So why... Subject him to more. Why subject him to more just because he's experienced all that already? Oh, but then she, like, throws his prison sentences in his face. Right. Which is so mean. And Mm -hmm. Sirius gets so rightfully furious. It's just actually a really exciting and interesting scene because, like... As a kid or a teenager, like, watching adults, like, really fucking lay into each other, like, as though you're not in the room, is so fascinating. And it's, like, scary and destabilizing, but it's also one of those things where, like, you're always kind of curious to be a fly on the wall in, like, the adult conversations. And Sirius and Molly are having, like, this incredibly grown-up conversation about Harry that he gets to like witness and it's just like a really interesting scene and he says he's like really touched by what Molly says about her being a mother to him or his being like a son to her but at the same time like he thinks he's like obviously Sirius is on his side so he's advocating for Sirius's point of view and it's just like it's just a lot of emotions that are really really interesting to watch unfold and you know a thing that is really beautiful about this scene is that it's because all these grown-ups love Harry it is nice to see him transition really abruptly from this environment in which the only fights adults have are who hates him and wants him gone more (laughs) and to be dropped into this environment where the fight is who loves him and cares for him and has his best interests at heart more. So it is kind of a relief that they are fighting because they deeply, deeply love Harry and want the best for him. But they're still, like, misbehaving. (laughs) So... What Harry actually learns doesn't seem... I don't understand why they were keeping it from him in the first place. Yeah, so, none of it seems that, like, revelatory. I mean, we learn that Voldemort's back. Which fucking... Okay, this is and, a really good point that gets made. <laughs> it's like, nobody would even fucking know that if Harry yeah. wasn't in the picture. So, like, that's a good argument for telling Harry stuff. Is he's like... The crucial piece of intel that you are all operating off of is my intel, bitches. Yeah. So, yeah. Voldemort's back. He's doing shit. And... And he wants a thing. He wants a thing. I I think Ron actually says, Ron's like, that's not really anything we couldn't have, like, figured out on our own from, like, just using context clues on the occasional extendable ear. You know, we get a little exposition based around the Ministry of Magic and Voldemort's general stratagem, but Harry probably could have pieced that together just from the fact that nobody's shown up dead. Basically, Voldemort's lying low until he can consolidate power. Some of the most interesting information is actually about the Ministry. Like, the most surprising set of information that Harry gets has nothing to do, I think, with what Voldemort's up to. Like, you could have pretty easily ascertained that. It's that they are operating, having to operate this, like, covert mission from within the Ministry because, like, the government is in this crazy state of, like, denial. So I think that's the most interesting revelation. And that's, like, not something that a teenager is, like, going to be that into. I don't get referring to the prophecy as a weapon. I don't understand what they're talking about. Maybe they don't know what they're guarding exactly. Is that true? I don't remember now. We're going to have to find out. Uh, Knowledge is a weapon, I guess. Knowledge is power. (laughs) Okay. Right? Yeah, I just don't really know what they're talking about. Yeah, so takeaway being not a ton in here that is particularly useful for Harry. And not super clear why all of this is like mega uber super top secret. We do learn why Mundungus Fletcher is in the Order of the Phoenix. It's, as I surmised, because he's an excellent connection with the criminal underworld. Yeah, no, you you were totally right. It's That's exactly why. But um, just a quick quibble. I don't even know if this is a quibble. This is just... So Molly flies off the handle because he's trying to store his stolen cauldrons there. Why is he so obsessed with 
black market cauldrons. Why is there such a black market for cauldrons? It's like cookware, right? There's not like a booming black market for stolen Calphalon pans, is there? I think cauldrons are like a particularly specialized wizarding implement, though. Like, Percy had to write a whole report about like the standardized like thickness of cauldrons. (laughs) So clearly there's like a lot of regulation. So they're over-regulated and that's why there's a black market for cauldrons? Yeah. I mean, it must be that like they're probably they're overpriced because they're over-regulated. Probably like there's a huge markup on cauldrons because they have to do go through all this like regulatory oversight. So to get like a cheap but not necessarily like FDA approved cauldron, (laughs) you have to go through Mundungus. Also, he's not obsessed with black market cauldrons. Like, this is just one delivery that was of, his like, his... business opportunity. All right. That was, like, the reason that he, like, poofed away when Harry was... When he was supposed to be guarding Harry. But I think it's just the one time. Like, I don't think that's his whole business. He just deals in stolen goods. Like, it's, like, the cliche of something falling off the back of a truck. Ah, uh, okay. He's just, like, spies and sells stolen goods. But I do think cauldrons are probably overregulated and therefore overpriced. That makes sense. So then we clean. I actually really love this chapter. It's It's just one of those fun, like, Harry Potter kind of set piece chapters where everything is, like, new and magic and you're just introduced to a lot of weird shit and everybody's just kind of chatting and and you get a lot of just, like, world stuff. It's cozy. It's funny. Yeah, it's cozy and funny. And Um, creepy. Yeah, but creepy in such a fun way. Pajamas try to strangle Ron. Yeah, also creature snogs like a dressing gown (laughs) it's like a rose for emily yeah (laughs) Um, this really is like out of like a southern gothic or like a like a william faulkner short story with the dusty mansion uh, from like a family fallen from grace and uh peeling wallpaper and yeah the whole nine yards Mm -hmm. so one question again just like a little quibble that i have in this cleaning montage which I really wish in the movie was like an actual montage. I think it would have been hilarious. Yeah. Anyway, is Mrs. Weasley still uses Gilderoy Lockhart's books? Like, isn't he disgraced? Okay. The content's still good though, right? Like he took the actual memories from legit expert wizards. Yeah, but I mean, like, isn't this one of those things where like nobody can watch Kevin Spacey movies anymore? anymore? <laughs> oh, ooh, <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean? Like, aren't we just kind of like, oh, we probably shouldn't like consume this guy's media anymore because he's like a fucking, I think, like criminal. I think like a million little pieces is like a better example than Kevin Spacey. Who's that author? James Fry. James Fry. James Fry. Or like Jonah Lehrer or somebody like that. Yeah, I think Jonah Lehrer would be pissed to get compared to James Fry, but fair enough. All right. Well, <laughs> um, I mean, that's, you know, but okay, I hope that jo- makes sense. I hope Jonah Lair is not, uh, list, doesn't listen to the, uh, to the Quibbler podcast. Are you kidding? I hope Jonah Lair listens to the Quibbler. I hope everybody listens. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. No, you're right. James Fry is a better comparison. Or but Kevin like, Glass. Is it Glass? Kevin yeah. Glass? I don't remember. The Glass guy. Stephen Glass. Yeah. Or Stephen Glass. Yeah, that, you're it's right. Like, it's like that sort of thing. That is a much better comparison. But like. Nobody reads a million little pieces anymore, do they? Like, no, I it's, guess not. It's like disgraced. Like Oprah, like pulled it. But that's a fiction book. I mean, this is just like house. No, clean that's tips. not. Oh yeah, not well. That's the whole point. A, it is a fiction book, but there's it's primarily nonfiction with fictionalized sections that are pretty ter- particularly important to the plot. Yeah. All wow, right. we have gone far afield several times. No, in this that's episode. okay. Um, it just seems weird to me that anybody is still using Gilderoy's household help books. But I guess also the Weasleys can't really afford to like buy a new book of tips. Yeah. They can't like get hints from Heloise. And there's no internet. And there's no internet. So one of the things that they're trying to clean and can't. Wait, first of all, one of the things that they're trying to clean. Let's just point this out for posterity's sake. Is the fucking locket. Oh. There's a horcrux up in here. And I had completely forgotten that it like makes an appearance. Is in that it? Scene. Yes. That's the locket. That's Regulus Black's, right? That's the locket. Dude, That's a Horcrux. I do not remember. I'm pretty sure. All Obviously, right. you guys are going to correct us if we're wrong. So we're just going to put this out there. I'm pretty sure that's a fucking Horcrux. Dang, dude. 
But we also have this big tapestry that has all of the family tree on it. And we like learn a lot about the blacks and we learn a lot about how the wizarding world is just like one big happy family. (laughs) It's a small world, man. I mean, basically aristocracies are fucked is like the moral of the story. This is so weird. It's interesting that the Potters aren't in this melange. They're not considered one of the the sacred 28, the like famous pureblood families. They are pureblood or like close to it. But yeah, they're not like wizarding. They're not in the wizarding aristocracy. Well, that's lucky for Harry. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, he'd be betrothed to a Malfoy or whatever. Or he'd, let's see, marry a Weasley. (laughs) Oh, wait. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Another nice little nod in here is that we get to pre-meet Bellatrix, who is going to play a deeply and upsettingly important role in this book. It's very nice foreshadowing. It's a lot of good foreshadowing Mm -hmm. in this chapter. So what do we think about Creature? Yeah, speaking of the Black family, Creature is like a singularly wonderful character. He is such a stone cold weirdo. (laughs) I like when he describes the twins as unnatural. I know, he's like really freaked out by twins, which like you and me both, bro. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) No, I I mean, like, obviously there's nothing wrong or unnatural about twins, but, like, it's a little scary when two people look exactly the same. It freaks me out a tiny bit. Maybe, no, that's, like, I don't know if that's, like, twin bigotry. Twins are great. It's fine. When two adults are, like, identical, it's, like, a little scary. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is probably a bad opinion, you guys. Um, But I'm not the least aligned with Creature on, on twins. He's, he's spooky. You he know, spooky. he's like imbued with And menace. he's perfect because he's spooky funny, mm-hmm. which is like one of JK's like best kind of combos. The Hogwarts ghosts, I feel like, are other good examples of like a good kind of spooky funny one-two punch. Sirius's treatment of Creature is like really not okay. I asked you what you were up to, said Sirius coldly. Every time you show up pretending to be cleaning, you sneak something off to your room so we can't throw it out. Creature would never move anything from its proper place in Master's house, said the elf, then muttered very fast. Mistress would never forgive Creature if the tapestry was thrown out. Seven centuries it's been in the family. Creature must save it. Creature will not let Master and the blood chasers and the brats destroy it. I thought it might be that said Sirius, casting a disdainful look at the opposite wall. She'll have put another permanent sticking charm on the back of it, I don't doubt. But if I can get rid of it, I certainly will. Now go away, Creature. It seemed that Creature did not dare disobey a direct order. Nevertheless, the look he gave Sirius as he shuffled out past him was redolent of deepest loathing, and he muttered all the way out of the room, Comes back from Azkaban, ordering creature around. Oh, my poor mistress. What would she say if she saw the house now? Scum living in it, her treasures thrown out. She swore he was no son of hers, and he's back. They say he's a murderer, too. Keep muttering, and I will be a murderer, said Sirius irritably. And he slammed the door shut on the elf. Sirius, he's not right in the head said Hermione pleadingly. I don't think he realizes we can hear him. He's a proxy to Sirius for his mom. Right. He can't lash out at his mom, so... This is kind of jumping the gun a little bit, but he does get punished for that. I mean, the the, the worst punishment possible. But I guess it's interesting because the very existence of slavery in the Wizarding World, as we've talked about, is like kind of like disqualifying for all these people being like good <laughs> like which is really really complicates reading these books but he becomes one in a kind of uh, a line of characters who get really severely punished for their poor treatment of their house elves yes so in this case there are really profound consequences for Sirius's inability to separate creature the like indentured servant from his parents who indentured servanted him. This is actually a peek into like a real character flaw of Sirius's, which he's not very... Well, it's his fatal flaw. It is his literal fatal flaw. But he's not, he's not very empathetic. 
And he's not very good at sort of like setting aside his own neuroses in order to sort of like do what's right. But really it's damning for the whole order because they can't free him. Even if they wanted to, like they have this whole, you know, he has too many secrets and he betrays them. Which is foreshadowed excellently in this chapter. Yeah, it's hard not to think that they get what's coming to them. Like that's what's really fucking complicated about the house elves is like, it's really, 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 really sad what ends up happening in this book. But also like, Sirius gets what's fucking coming to him from Creature. Creature has every reason and every right to betray the Order. And he makes a really, really logical and sound decision in doing so. Well, this chapter is another showcase of Hermione's virtues because she is extraordinarily empathetic toward Creature. Especially considering the things he's saying about her in particular. Yeah. And she he even says, this is like kind of an interesting moment. He says, I think he says the mudblood talks to me as though she is my friend. And the word friend to me like really stuck out because we do kind of learn way later on that Creature is capable of being a friend. Yes. And being a really good companion for these characters And there's just like, I don't know, something about that just really like struck a chord in me. He foreshadows that a little bit too. Like you can see some glimmer of understanding that Hermione is like an ally. Even though obviously it's like buried in like layers and layers and layers of like... Internalized... uh, Bigotry. Yeah. Ugh, God, it's like every time we have a house elf in these books, it's just, it makes it so hard to have sympathy for our sympathetic characters because it's like every single one of them is like complicit in this creature's like servitude well that's what makes this particular storyline so interesting right because God, they Sir- get their come up in because yeah serious one of the unam up until now one of the unambiguously good guys is uh is complicated by this He's so a- it's it's very interesting when she- Rowling gets away from the straight good-bad dichotomy and shows how our heroes are complicit in some of the very things they're purportedly struggling against. And, you know, she doesn't always do those shades of gray, but I think the books shine when she does. I agree with that. And also, I mean, Sirius is like, it's worse than just sort of being complicit in the overall system of, like, house elf servitude. He mistreats a servant like not only does he have one but he like abuses it right well Sirius misses the fact that Creature is as much of a victim as he is yeah you know he's totally oblivious to that they were both born into and lashed to this family and Creature in a more serious way than even Sirius yeah, was Sirius is like totally incapable of seeing like bro you got away like your head's not even gonna get cut off and put on the wall man they (laughs) behead them (laughs) they when they stop being able to carry a tea tray they behead them that is so messed up this is so dark yeah and Sirius just like cannot get out of his own way and have some just like fellow creature feeling he and Snape are more like each other than they care to admit. Oh my god, he and Snape are like the same. They're both kind of the worst. (laughs) And I feel for Sirius a lot, but this is a particular part of Sirius's character that is just like really despicable. Here's a question I have about Sirius. If he'd been born into the Weasley family, would he have been sorted into Slytherin? Is he just a rebel? That's a really good question. I mean, I don't know. Because we talk about his choice to run away as an ethical one. And I don't know if it is all the way. No, it might be his personality to just rebel against whatever the status quo is. Yeah. So I'm wondering if if he was in a family of Gryffindors, would he have been like a Draco type? I think he could have been. I think that's totally possible. I think that he is too independent... And obstinate and sort of like counterintuitive for his own good. But, you know, no. I'm going to go back on that because I do think this creature stuff kind of aside, he is a person who like knows right from wrong. 
Like, he believes in this stuff in a real way. Yeah, and pays a heavy price for his right. beliefs. And and he's really quintessentially a Gryffindor. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, he's... he The loyalty, the bravery, like, he's quintessentially serious Black, and I don't think that putting him in a different milieu would make him, like, a dark wizard. All right, fair enough. I, I, I'm not saying I think that. I was just... The thought while we've been having this conversation popped into my mind. So yeah, no, I thought I, I would think broach the question. That's like a reasonable question. And I do think there is part of him that is just like counter-establishment. Well, like, that's very Gryffindor. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, he's kind of a fuck the man type, but that's a <laughs> Gryffindor characteristic yeah. more than They're anything. rebels. And James was a rebel. And, you know, Lupin in his very dignified, quiet, reasonable way is a rebel too. Kind of one of the biggest ones. He's like the best fighter because he like manages to tamp down some of his more just like insane tendencies and like use his Gryffindor nature to really like fight the good fight in a disciplined way. Well, Lupin's a rebel just by existing. I know, it's true. Lupin is the best character. Yeah, he's one of my favorites. He's one of, we mentioned in the last episode that Arthur Weasley is one of the best people in these books. I think Professor Lupin joins uh, those yeah. ranks as well. God, and, and we see that in these chapters. His conflict resolution skills are just off the fucking charts. I know. He's like, doing classroom management at the Order of the Phoenix dinners. He absolutely is. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about something more fun. The twins and their doxy poison and their just like overall joke shop shenanigans. Right. So the twins pocket one of these doxies because their venom is like it's venomous uh <laughs> can you i was gonna say their venom is poisonous but uh we're gonna bring down the wrath of uh biology uh pedants no that's not pedantry that's just accuracy yeah we want to experiment with doxy venom for our skiving snack boxes george told harry under his breath Deftly spraying two doxes at once as they soared straight for his nose, Harry moved closer to George and muttered out of the corner of his mouth, What are skiving snack boxes? Range of sweets to make you ill, George whispered, keeping a wary eye on Mrs. Weasley's back. Not seriously ill, mind, just ill enough to get you out of a class when you feel like it. Fred and I have been developing them this summer. They're double-ended. Color-coded chews. If you eat the orange half of the puking pastilles, you throw up. Moment you've been rushed out of the lesson for the hospital wing, you swallow the purple half, which restores you to full fitness, enabling you to pursue the leisure activity of your own choice during an hour that would otherwise have been devoted to unprofitable boredom. That's what we're putting in the adverts anyway, whispered Fred who had edged over out of Mrs. Weasley's line of vision and was now sweeping a few stray doxies from the floor and adding them to his pocket. But they still need a bit of work. At the moment, our testers are having a bit of trouble stopping puking long enough to swallow the purple end. Testers? Us, said Fred. We take it in turns. George did the fainting fancies. We both tried the nosebleed nougat. Mum thought we'd been dueling said George. This could go wrong so many different ways. Just from a product development standpoint, one, they're just experimenting with venom to make... They're not chemical weapons, but they might accidentally make one. I don't know. Also, they're testing them on themselves. So they mention that these puking pastilles, the main problem with them is they can't get themselves to stop puking they could die of like dehydration this is like giving yourself dysentery what if they don't get it right what if they don't figure out how to make the antidote i mean the thing is it's the weasleys like that's genuinely a risk they're willing to take <laughs> they, they could, like totally know that it's not like they're going into this blind they could bleed out from like a bad nosebleed nougat 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 you know if they aren't able to like come up with like a blood clotting agent that like counteracts the the nougat well here's the other thing and that's what this brings up for me like the chemistry here is insane <laughs> we have talked about this before but like the weasley twins are fucking geniuses yeah like 
their mom is so incredibly incorrect about their like ability level because this is unbelievable wizard science. Yes, yeah, they also should also known as magic. As magic. They should drop out of Hogwarts, which they do, go to the Muggle world and sell something that can just start and stop bleeding like yeah. at will. Yeah. Maybe not start. You don't need to start bleeding at will. I guess you do. Yeah, if you blood thinners. Blood. Oh, or blood thinners. That's mm-hmm. true. They're inventing like better thinning and clotting agents. Yeah. Much like Snape should go run a pharmaceutical company. Yeah. yeah, they should be like chemists. Or that in some cases they're not inventing anything new. Like the puking pastilles. Guys, just buy like syrup of Ipecac. <laughs> no, we have syrup of Ipecac. For that, you know, there's uh, things that induce vomiting. Yeah. You guys didn't need to like. But they have to have a thing that induces vomiting that's like immediately reversible. Yeah, which... you just have to vomit once. Anyway, this is crazy. Um, it's so dangerous. It's, you know, and I, I, I get why it's in the books and why it's funny. It's like the kid fantasy of like tricking the nurse into letting you take a sick day. But in reality... This product wouldn't even work for very long because once the school figured it out, no one would be getting hall passes anymore for oh no- my God. for nosebleeds. And you'd be in this horrible boy who cried wolf situation where like if you got legitimately sick, they'd be like, oh, puking pastel again. And you'd be like, no, dog, I'm like dying. Yeah, And the one thing people at Hogwarts need is consistent medical attention yes if we've true. learned anything we cannot make their healthcare system worse <laughs> so we, we are not allowed to make them less uh, able to provide adequate care for children but it's about to be also yeah. who gets out of class for a nosebleed if you're like bleeding a lot uh, i think you are, are a lot like you're not you don't want to bleed all over your desk you don't get like off for the whole period you just get go you just get like patched up right? well that's the other thing about this a lot of this is like the nurse isn't gonna let you just like waltz out because you've stopped vomiting also the nurse is madam fucking pomfrey she's gonna zap you with her wand and you're like fine again yeah. right she has magic too <laughs> You missed the main... <laughs> Everyone else has magic, Weasleys. Yeah. Uh, although this... I guess that's not true with Madame. Madame Pomfrey really loves keeping people in the hospital wing, so... Yeah, so she's just going to keep you put... Any and you're going to just miss class. Anyway, I applaud Fred and George for their creativity here, but I just... I this don't know about... This one's not a winner. Yeah, I don't know about this I one. I don't think that this product is a winner. The names are hilarious. Skiving Snackbox is a super good product name. I mean, they're like, they're just everything about their branding is on point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just in terms of product development, like not even the, what it actually does, but like even in the movies, like their packaging is badass. Their logo is really good. Weasley's Wizard Wheezes is a great name. They just have such a sense for this stuff. They're so smart. It's like, do you know how many different jobs that is? Yeah. Like R&D, plus like marketing, plus product, plus like fucking like COO. Like they're just doing it all. They're yeah. amazing. The they're Weasleys, amazing entrepreneurs. The Weasley twins are some of the only characters who would uh, actually make it in the muggle world. Yeah, and they would survive. Probably would do even better in the muggle world than they do in the wizard world. Well, there's way more access to capital. They have access to venture capital. (laughs) Exactly. Who's your unsung hero? My unsung hero is Kingsley Shacklebolt, who basically launches the deep state conspiracy against Cornelius Fudge. He's heading up the search for Sirius Black and is just sending ministry agents to Tibet and on other various wild hippogriff chases. (laughs) So... Fucking excellent. Yeah. Also, Kingsley just seems really cool under pressure and like he knows what he's doing. Yeah. Also, shout out to a character of color. Yeah. Just like one of the up. few. <laughs> uh, wish we see more of Kingsley, yeah, honestly. Me too. Kingsley's a great character. Mine is Ginny because Ginny puts up such a incredible fight when her mom is like you're the kid that has to go to bed (laughs) Ginny like screams the entire way and I just think like her tantrum is really excellent and funny I like that she's the one Weasley that the twins respect oh I know they're like man have you ever been on the other end of 
one of Ginny's like bat bogey curses or yeah. something. <laughs> she is the only Weasley, Weasley that the twins have right. any respect for. That's yeah, so true. They're talking about the weapon and Ron's like, wouldn't it have to be really big? And they're like, they're like, no, Ginny's a weapon. Yeah, don't fuck with Ginny. Oh, that's such a, everybody else gets to hang out and listen to the Order of the Phoenix like goods except for Ginny, and the rest of them have, like, really weak excuses, but it's just Molly clinging to power. Clinging to the ability to mother one person. (laughs) Oh, poor Ginny. I mean, Hermione's gonna tell her everything. Yeah. This week's episode is brought to you by Doxyside. Squirt them in the face. Whatever they are. (laughs) The audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. They are from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix by J.K. Rowling. Please go wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review us if that is an option on your platform of choice. Apple Podcasts is one example. Also, please subscribe to this podcast so you get it regularly and know when we post new episodes incredibly sporadically. Uh, We're trying to do better at that. Please also come see us on social media. We are at Quibbler Podcast on Twitter, on Instagram, and on Facebook. You can also send us an email at quibblerpodcast at gmail.com. We love getting your e-owls. We read them all. You guys make beautiful points, and you're the best. Next week, we are reading the chapters in Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix called The Ministry of Magic and The Hearing. So Harry is in for some major stress. More wizard bureaucracy. So much bureaucracy. So tune in for that. Thanks, amigos. What do you reckon? Well, they didn't tell us much we couldn't have guessed, did they? Krisha said nothing said the elf with a second bow to George, adding in a clear undertone, And there's his twin, unnatural little beast, they are.